Good morning. Great to see you guys. Cassidy's exiting stage right. All right, good. He always wears me out when he's behind me there like that. <laughs> hey, we are starting a series today called Be the Church, and I'm starting with the opening line that I'm really nervous about, and it is this. Don't go to church. That sounds wrong, doesn't it? That sounds wrong, doesn't it? Like, don't go to church. It's pastors saying that. They're going to take my pastor card from me or... Uh, One of the elders is going to come tackle me up on stage or something like that. No, what I mean by that, though, is this. Maybe I should say it this way. Don't just go to church. Don't simply go to church because uh, really what God intended when he started the church is not that we would go to church or attend church, that we would actually be the church, be the church. Now, they say in Jackson County, it's like a lot of places around this country, they'll say over 80% of the people in our county are not in church on a given Sunday morning. But when you go and ask people and talk to people, there's a lot more people that claim faith in Christ than that. But there seems to be a lack of engagement in church. I think we could do better in going to church, but that's not even the point. The point isn't that we go to church, is that we be the church. Maybe you can envision yourself standing in that picture there somewhere and realize you are a part of the church. In fact, you are the church. We're going to see that in just a second. We are the church. And no better place to learn about being the church than the book of Acts. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians and then we're going to spend the rest of this series in the book of Acts because I believe God started the church the way he intended it and now he wants the church the way he He started it. And so we're going to look at the very first church. I want you to realize you are the church. You are the church. The the pastor isn't the church. The building isn't the church. We're going to see the people, you, are the church of Jesus Christ. So uh, if you want to look at me with me on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul is writing a letter to this church that meets in Corinth. It's a city. And uh, he starts it the same way. He starts a lot of his letters to a lot of these churches. And he says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. In the very cursory look at that, you can see Paul's definition, God's definition of the church isn't the building, it isn't a service, it isn't a doctrine or dogma, it is the people. He says to the church of God, those sanctified in Christ Jesus, he said it's those people that have come to God through faith, where Jesus Christ was their hope and their, for salvation, then that, if that's you and you've come to Christ, and he's your only hope, then you are the church yourself. You and I are the church. That's a pretty amazing thought, that it's not a geographical location, but it is a God-given identification, that you and I are dubbed the church. It's all about our identity. It's who we are. It's who God says we are. He says that you are my church, that you are my loved one, Think about this. God started the church because he loved us. Jesus Christ came and died for the church. That's how much God loves you. If, if God in Christ died for the church, that means he died for you and he loves you that much. He loves you because you're the church. In fact, um, this is a little awkward, but in certain places in scriptures, 
The church is called the bride of Christ. Now, all the ladies are fine with that, and all the dudes are like, what? I'm a bride? <laughs> Say what? Come again. That <laughs> feels a little awkward, but it's true. We are called the bride of Christ. Why are we called that? Because he so loves us, and he longs for us. He protects us. He's devoted to us. We're his bride. We're his love. We are the apple of God's eye. That's how much as his church, he loves us. We never have to doubt that. Just feels a little awkward when we talk about being the bride. It's kind of like sometimes when we sing that song, How He Loves, you get to that awkward phrase, you know that song when it says, heaven meets earth in a sloppy, wet kiss? Ugh. I don't want a sloppy, wet kiss from anybody, I'll be honest with you. But it just typifies the love that God has for us. It's this overwhelming love for his church, his bride, his people, for you and I. So there's six different letters in your New Testament when Paul is writing on their inspiration of God and he's writing to the church of a certain place and he says to the church in such and such town. Now let me ask you something. He's calling them the church. They're the, they're the sanctified one. Those are the holy people. Do you think in those six different churches that those people had problems? Yeah. Do you think in those six different locations that the, the, not only the people but the church had problems? Yeah. You think people were dealing with relationship issues? Sure. Do you think people were trying to break bad habits that they brought in? Absolutely. Do you think that they had trials that they were going through or a checkered past? No doubt about it. And yet God chooses to call them and us his church. In fact, when I read the book of uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, I always feel better about myself and I always feel better about our church. What do you mean? That was the most jacked up group of people you have ever seen in one place. The, the Corinthians, they were screwing up communion. They were screwing up all kinds of stuff. They were fighting with each other. There was immorality going on. And I always feel better about our church and for myself when I read Corinthians. And yet God calls them the church. It's kind of like when you go to Commerce Walmart after midnight. You, you can always feel better about yourself in that moment right there. <laughs> okay. Some would say anytime you go. See, being the church, being the church is a God-given distinction that's given to us. We didn't have to earn that. We received that. The moment we received Jesus Christ, when we realized the debt we have as sinners before a holy God moved us to the place that we needed to cry out in help, and Jesus was, we found out, sufficient to be our help, and we called on his name, and he forgived us, and he loved us, and he entered into our lives. That moment, when it happened for you, you became the church. God gave you that distinction forevermore. And we should wear that with, with, with great honor, that we're no longer defined by our past, that you and I are no longer defined by what people think about us or say about us, that we're not defined by our successes or our failures, that what matters most and what matters at all is what God says is true about us. And he says, you are my church. You're my bride. You're my loved one. You're the apple of my eye. It's awesome. Now, not only is the church something that God gives us and distinguishes us by, but also becoming the church 
Becoming the church is a spiritual destination. What do I mean by that? Well, we just talked about our identity is that God gave us this thing called the church, that we are the church. But he also, he also wants us to act like we are the church, doesn't he? He wants us to grow into that thing. <laughs> You're going to sit right there. <laughs> he wants to act, us to act like his church. So it's not an issue of identity. When we say we want to become the church, that's a destination we are striving for individually and as a church. Now it's an issue of obedience, that there's things that we can do and choices that you and I can make to actually more and more approximate the church that God intended us to be and collectively for us to be. So he wants us to go back to the original. I said we're going to start in the book of Acts. Think about it. When the very first church started, it started the, the most purest form. It wasn't that it didn't have issues or didn't have problems, but this is the church in its purest form. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, starting verse 42 together. And we're going to look at the original church. You know, most of the time, the original is better than, the, than a copy, it's true with movies. They make sequels, and the sequels, like, oh, that's nothing. That's not nearly as good as the original. I mean, they made King Kong back in 1950-something, and they have tried like a dozen times to remake King Kong, and it's never been as good. I don't care what anyone else says, as good as the 1950-something version. Awesome. Scared me to death. I was a kid when my parents had me watch it. I'm not that old, by the way. <laughs> and then I was thinking the Ghostbusters came on the other day. And the original Ghostbusters is awesome. Bill Morey, Dan Aykroyd, that's great, man. And, and they've made a couple other Ghostbusters. I'm like, we're wasting your time, man. You can't beat the original. If you don't like my movie analogy, think about it as a, when you're making copies on a copy and you take a sheet of paper and you run the copy and you get the, the copy and it looks just like the original. But if you took that copy and you made a copy of it and took that copy and made a copy of it and made a copy and a copy and a copy and a copy, you with me? After a while, that image begins to be tarnished and fuzzy and faded. And guess what's happened in the church? What's happened in the church is over generation and generation and generation and generation, we've made copy after copy after copy of the church. And in a lot of ways, we've deviated ever so slightly from what God intended the church to be. I think it's gotten a little fuzzy. We're going to go back to the original, guys. So in Acts chapter 2, this is the benchmark. This is the standard of what God would desire us to be and every church to be. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Come on. So every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Man, that sounds like an amazing church to be a part of. There's all this sharing going on and, and relationship going on and life change going on. 
I would want to be a part of that church. Man, I'd be pumped to be a part of a church like that. And I believe this church is called to be that church. And for us to get there, for us to become the church that God intended us individually and collectively to be, I believe there's three choices that we all need to make. Three choices that are going to go against our culture. I mean, every advertisement you and I get bombarded with, it will, it will go against what we're promised in those. And it flies even in the face of, I think, church culture and the trends that we see in the North American church. The first choice that you and I can make to be the people in the church God intended us to be is choose involvement over isolation. To choose involvement over isolation. The scripture said this, verse 44, all the believers were together. They were together. You say, well, we're together. Here we are. There's 80, 90 of us sitting in the room here. We're together. Well, that's true. But we weren't together with the first service. I mean, they, they've come and gone, most of them. And, um, you know, even on a Sunday like today, you add it all up, there's probably half of us close to that would say, Crossroads is my church home, and they're, they're not here today. So we're together, but we're not all together. And, and besides that, when we talk about being together, you look at it in the context of this passage, that's not really what is even intended. What he didn't mean is that they, we would just gather together and be sitting in the same room together. It goes much deeper than that because he said things like this, that we are to be devoted to the fellowship, that you and I are to have everything in common. See, when you read those phrases, you realize we aren't just supposed to meet together and our lives just kind of pass one another in a hall and never get engaged in each other's lives. That this, this calling to be uh, the church goes way beyond that. That we are to have lives that are actually integrated with one another. That you and I have lives where we belong to one another. And we pray together. And we laugh together. And we eat together. And we cry together. And we are there for one another. And we grow together. All those things. When God says, I want you to be my church, he intended that we would belong to one another in such a radical way that it is unlike any other uh, association that we have. That's what God wants for every single one of us is that we would belong. I mean, at the end of the day, isn't that what we're all kind of longing for? That we would belong, that we'd be a part, that we'd have our peeps and that we would, we would know that we know that there's people with us and for us in this world. I mean, that's, that's what family provides, but the church family is that second layer where we belong to, to each other. That's, how, that's what God intended when he said, let's start the church. Can I tell you, we really value relationships here at Crossroads. It's one of our four core values. And when we talk about it, we have this picture of a tire, and we say when you cut open a tire, I've never done it, but when you cut it open, they say there's radials. And those, those rods of steel, they interwoven with one another. And this is a beautiful picture of what the life of a believer in the local church ought to look like, that our lives are not disconnected with each other, but they're integrated in with each other. That's what it means to be the church. You know, we just did a, a month all January. We talked about finding a small group, and we did a group connect event. And then last month, we did this, hey, find a serving team, and, and we did a team connect event. And some people took us up on that offer, and some didn't. 
And I, and I get it. It's kind of a scary thing to try something new. And you're probably thinking, if you didn't take a chance on one of those, you're probably thinking, what in the world did they do in small group? Like the internal questions you're having are, are there going to be a bunch of weirdos that I show up at their house? Are they going to think I'm weird? They're going to judge me. And we wonder about these things. And trying something new for the first time is always, always difficult. Anybody try snow skiing as an adult for the first time? Okay, way more than the first service. I think they were sleeping. All right. I, could, I would pay money to just stay at the slopes and watch the adults on the bunny hill. That, that's good comedy. Because it looks like a baby giraffe trying to walk for the first time, right? They're, they're doing one of those. It's hard to try that new for the first time. Uh, we, two weeks ago, we talked about, um, uh, we preached on dating your spouse and spending time with one another and how important that is. And over the years, Gabriel and I have really been a proponent of that. And we'll get a couple that says, all right, we're going to try it. We're going to try dating again. I was like, this isn't a death sentence. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. And they try it and they come back to us and they always say, that was weird. Like we didn't know what to talk about. I was like, we're like, we know, do it again. And they go again, and it's a little bit better, and we're like, do it again. And so by the third or the fourth, and after a while, it goes from awkward to awesome. And that newness and that weirdness goes away. Guys, when you and I push through that little bit of barrier and that little bit of awkwardness to become the church and be vitally involved with it, that awkwardness goes away and you find something so awesome. You're like, how did I ever live without it? I've been on a church staff before, before we came here, and I, we never felt like we belonged, and we had experienced that before at another church, and we longed to have it again where we knew one another, and we were for one another, and our lives were interwoven with people like they are here again. It's awesome. And we believe the best place to, to do that is in a small group. That's why we, we have disciple-making small groups and, and, uh, and serving teams. And I got them, both of them here today. Um, I lead a small group on Wednesday nights right across this, uh, the hall here. And I've heard some of the most profound things come out of this group. And Ed and Christine are here. But Ed, I wrote down what you said that one night. And I'm going to share it with everybody. I've already asked for permission. Uh, I'm not springing it on them. But listen to what Ed said. He said, man, I was living in a box and I thought that the struggles that I had were unique to me. And when I came to small group, I realized the same doubts and fears and insecurities that I have, other people have. And together we're learning how to overcome those and it's changing me. And he said, my parents noticed after coming to small group for a while, they said, Ed, you're different. God's changing you. Man, that's, that's an awesome thing, Right? And then I was, I think it was the same night, I was almost moved to tears. Krista, you said, I learned how to love myself in small group. I wanted to cry right there. Is not that the most powerful thing you've ever heard? That there were people that said, we'll accept you for who you are and we love you for who you are and you can just be you and we'll be us and together we'll grow closer to God and we'll be there for each other. And, and she said that. And I thought, man, if that doesn't say you ought to be in a small group, nothing else will. It's powerful. So I'm going to make you an offer. Hopefully you can't refuse. If you've not tried a small group yet, here's what I want to do. 
If you'll try it for two months, if you'll try it for two months, a small group, and, and it hasn't added value to your life, it doesn't change the, the way you perceive God and yourself, if it doesn't start building bonds of friendship with others, then I will personally apologize to you for wasting your time. I don't think I'll have to do that. Because when we choose involvement over isolation, God does something in us and with us that is beautiful. We just believe small groups is the place that happens. That was the vehicle Jesus chose to make disciples, and that was the vehicle, I don't know if you noticed it, but they met in each other's homes in this Acts passage, and they chose to meet in small groups in each other's homes, doing this right here, getting connected in a deeper level. So can I challenge you to choose involvement over isolation? If we're going to be the church, we also have to embrace giving over getting. Giving over getting. Man, most people, let's just be honest, most people look at church the way they do an offer on a, on a commercial. Hey, this is what this product can do for you. This is what this program can do for you. And if you like the benefits and you weigh the cost, you go, you know what, maybe I'll take a shot and I'll buy that or I'll do that. And so most people, I'm not faulting, but most people enter church and say, do the programs and the preaching and the worship and the things, does it add value to me? But if we're going to be the church, the question should become, very few people come into church and say, can I, can I come to this church and help it fulfill its mission? That's a completely different question, isn't it? Can I tell you, if we're going to be the church first question will be replaced by the second question. And there'll be a growing number of us that say, man, I'm here to do. I'm here to give. I'm here to be a part. I'm here to give away. You think, how, how, do, I, how do I win? How do I win by giving? That's counterintuitive. That, that doesn't make sense. What's interesting, Jesus answered that in the Gospels. He said, whoever wants to find their life will, anybody know? They'll lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will what? They'll find it. They'll find it. He says this radically thing that doesn't make sense happens. The more you give, the more you, you get. Now, we know this is true. Every Christmas, this happens, right? I mean, hey, I'll be honest. I love getting gifts. That's no, I have no problem with that. It's awesome. I make a list every year. <laughs> I do. My parents still want a list. I'm like, okay. And I like getting them. But I'll tell you what's even more fun was you find the right gift for that right person. You're like, I can't wait for them to open it. This year, I bought these old bullet pins. My dad was in the, in the military and my father-in-law was in the military. And I bought them these little bullet pins made by a vet whose son was killed in action. It had this whole story to it. And they're nice pins. And I couldn't wait for them to open that little $10 gift because it was so much more fun to give than to get. You know what? We all have something to give. Every single person in this room has something to give. You have a word of encouragement that someone might need to hear, and you're the person right there that says, you know what? I see something in you you don't see yourself. 
If somebody's stuck and they're, they're just, they're, they're not able to make progress, you might be the right person to encourage them and challenge them to get out of that rut. Every single person in this room can use their availability and their skills and their talents to serve other people in this church and this community. And every single person in this room has a unique opportunity to give their life away to others in practical ways. We all have something to give. Everyone here has something to share with each other. Could you imagine if every single one of us was looking for ways to add value to each other's life? And I think, man, how can I help Josh today? And how can I be a blessing to Chad today? And how can I help Addison today? And I'm just looking. What if we were all looking for ways to add value to each other? Man, this would be a great place to be, right? Unbelievable. Our walls are pretty thin, aren't they? (laughs) We are going to insulate them, I promise. (laughs) You know, we have a stewardship team. We have plans to finish this building. We've got uh, several phases we're going to be walking through. Our, our team is putting together a plan. They're about to, they're about to reveal that plan to us any, any, uh, any week now. And I don't know about you, but it struck me. We ought to be praying. God, how can I grow from getting to be more of a giving person? How are you going to ask me to step up my game in this area of giving? How can I take the resources God has entrusted with me and leverage them for kingdom influence that will long outlive my life? Third, third decision we need to make. Go to, go to involvement, go to giving. Thirdly, to make a legacy, not a living. To make a le- le- uh, legacy, not a living. And it says this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Think about that a second. Every single day, somebody's life was being intersected by Christ, and they were eternally changed and different because of this one church. I mean, isn't that awesome? Isn't that what we would all love to see? We're just telling stories back and forth. I mean, you, you couldn't guess what just happened. Man, my neighbor, my coworker, uh, this person I go to school with, and we just, all these stories are happening around us that God's touching their lives. I'm telling you, I'd love to be a part of that church. And I really believe the people in here, all of us want that same thing. We would love to see revival break out. That's the old word. But a movement happen where God's just doing his thing in the lives of people all around us. I don't think there's anyone in this room that wouldn't love to see that happen. I think where we get fuzzy is in the how, in the how that's going to happen. Here's what I mean. When you get sick, you go to the, you go to the doctor unless you're really stubborn. Probably got a couple of them in here. And when it's tax season and you've got lots of complicated things on your taxes and it's not the easy form, you go to a accountant, hopefully. TurboTax is my friend, but accountant, Okay. Um, if you're getting sued by somebody, you would need to find a, a lawyer. Yeah. And so we think in this age of specialization, if there's something spiritual happening or about to happen, man, I better go run and find a pastor or an elder or a church leader and they can take it from there. Don't we? Too many of us think that way. Can I tell you, when you and I do that, we are robbing ourselves on a chance for a legacy, a spiritual legacy. I want you to think about something. There's 12 apostles, and they said there's people daily that are coming to faith in Christ. That didn't happen because of the 12 people. 
That happened as the thousands, several thousand people who were new believers, they couldn't have find, there wasn't even a New Testament to find something in. They didn't know all the theological answers, but they knew Jesus had done something for them and they couldn't wait to tell other people. And so they were, and so every day there were stories of happening of people finding Christ. Not because of the 12, not because of the professionals, but because you and I, the church, was being the church. And they didn't get caught up in their daily bread and farming their land and making, paying the bills and all that's important and you gotta do that. But they were living for something bigger than that, living for something greater than that. The goal isn't to make it to spring break and the goal isn't to make it through another year and the goal isn't to pay all the bills or to raise kids or get to retirement. The goal is to leave a legacy for Jesus Christ that will long outlive your life and my life. That's his goal for every single one of us in here, that we would be the church. that would leave a legacy for him. You say, man, I can't do that. Yes, you can. So I've never done that. I say, you haven't done it yet. Every single person in this building can leave a legacy for Jesus Christ. Every single one. The first step is believing that that's true, that God wants to use you in that way. Can I tell you, we're better equipped today than we've ever been to help you become that person because when you get into a small group on our ministry team, you get training on how to live as Jesus lived. And we have this gospel program that you can learn how to share your faith. It's a training course we've developed. And we've got leadership development processes in place. We want to help you be all that God created you to be so that we can be the church that God created us to be so this community can be radically changed as God intends it to be. And someday there's 80% of people worshiping Jesus on Sunday instead of 80% of people not worshiping him on Sunday. Can your mind go there? Can you see a movement of disciples making other disciples? I can see it, and I long for it. Can I tell you a really embarrassing story of myself? I'd been an outreach pastor at a church for five years, and we've baptized and see very few people come to faith in Christ. I was frustrated. probably says a lot about me and my leadership. And then I got, became an intern at Crossroads Noonan, who was the church that started us. And we went to a body life service. I remember taking my wife and my kids were little babies. And in one service, they baptized, I don't know, 20, 25 people. Most of them were, were uh, adults, and they were all new believers. And we thought, holy cow, I'm witnessing r- revival breaking out. I'm witnessing God changing so many lives right in front of me. And I thought, man, this is awesome. And I wept. I said, this is what I've been missing. I long to be a part of something like this. And then dadgummit, we went on staff retreat the next day, and I'm in a room with like 40 people on staff at this church, a big church. And the pastor, God must have known just to pick on me a little bit, and he, and he says, hey, what did y'all think of the body life service last night? Hey, Rod, I'm sitting in the back hiding. Don't call on me. And he's like, Rod, what did you think? And through tears and weeping and broken English, I said, It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. 
I said, I want to I be a part of that. I'm so thankful to be a part of that. To see God radically changing lives of people all around me. And I made a fool out of myself, like snot coming out of my face. I believe that same thing is supposed to happen here. I believe that same thing is supposed to happen here. That God wants to start a movement that these walls won't hold, guys. They won't hold it. get a taste of it every once in a while. Yesterday, three of our small groups, the Brace small group, the Councilman small group, and my Wednesday night small group, and our awesome youth group and youth leaders, we went through an egg hunt at Jefferson Walk, Jefferson Place yesterday. And it was a lot of sweat. But Story got to share the resurrection eggs with a bunch of people and share the good news of Christ. We're sowing seeds of the good news of Christ. And then God prompted my heart, there's four teenage boys throwing a ball around. I got Dane let me borrow his football, and we're throwing the football with him. And I said, guys, time out. Old man needed a break for one thing. And I was like, <laughs> can we take five? I said, I got one a question I want to ask y'all. And I got them together, and I, and I asked them about their faith. And this boy named Chris says, I don't know Christ. I said, do you want to know him? He said, yes. And so he said yes to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ yesterday. And another boy named Cody, pray for him. He said, I'm not there yet. I said, Cody, think about it. Make this decision. You will never regret it. And the Lord added to their number, our number yesterday, someone who got saved. And that's what we want to see. That's what we believe will happen, that this community is going to be changed, that families will be restored, that lives will be renovated inside out as Jesus Christ becomes a greater reality in our lives and in this church and in this community. Let's leave a legacy for him. We've got some decisions that we'd walk through. I want you to pull out your Connect card. If God's been speaking to you about one of these decisions, if you know you need to go from isolation to involvement, you check that card and say, I want to try out a small group. We'll help you find the right one. We don't want you to be isolated anymore. You get to experience this with some other awesome people. Man, if God is moving in your heart to, to take uh, generosity and giving more than getting, a re just taking that serious in your life and you feel like you're going to make a change there, you let us know. If you want to be equipped to know how to help people know Christ and grow in Christ, I want to know who you are because we want to invest in you and help you be the church in your life. And then lastly, he said they were adding to their number. God was doing this. Every day, someone was getting saved. That means there could be somebody here today that doesn't know they have a relationship with God and they would say, I don't know that I've been forgiven of all that I've done wrong. And I don't know that I'm, heaven's awaiting me when I die. I, I'm not sure about those things. Can I tell you to, today definitively, you can know that. You can know that because there was a, God became man. Jesus Christ went to a cross and paid for every one of all of our sins on a cross. And he rose from the dead, showing that he can give life to those who ask for it. So today, if your decision may be simply this, I want to start a relationship with Christ by receiving him into my life and knowing the forgiveness and the love and the relationship that God can bring. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this is a holy moment. This is a decision moment. 
we're not always guaranteed another moment like this. And so, Lord, I pray for those that are teetering on the brink right now, trying to decide, am I going to give my life to Jesus Christ? Can I trust you? Do I, do I really believe he died on the cross for me and rose from the dead to give me life? If you're ready to say yes to Jesus' offered to forgive you, to love you, to lead you, I want you to pray with me right now and say, God, I need you. And I want the forgiveness that you offer through your son. Jesus, I believe you died for me. Will you come into my life to forgive me and to lead me? I'm ready to follow you. If you prayed that prayer, I want you, when this music starts, I want you to go to the back table. There's somebody waiting to talk to you about that decision. Or you can check it on your card. And then, Lord, these three decisions about being the church, these are choices that we'll have to make over and over again. But I pray today would be a turning point for those that say, I'm not going to stay in isolation anymore. I want to be involved with the people of God. I want to belong. God, I want this today would be a turning point for those that say, I'm, I'm tired of getting, I'm ready to start giving and getting involved here at Crossroads. And Father, if there's those that are saying, I want to leave a legacy. I don't want to just make a living. I want, to, I want you to use me for your purposes. God, would you move those to respond today? We ask in Jesus' name.